Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. Great to be worshiping with you today. Sorry, I got to take that off. I'm like way too hot already and just getting started. So, um, just wanting to know we're blessed to be here with you. What a great looking group of people we got here today. Not that we don't every Sunday, but you guys look extra good today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us online. Full Throttle Ministries is a part of Christian Faith Fellowship. When Kim and I got called by God to be here in Tucson, we moved from um, Detroit, Michigan area, a city called Wayne, where the Detroit Metro Airport is. That we lived right by there. We were both raised in that area. Never expected to ever leave that area. But God had other plans for our life. And as we surrendered and called out to him to show us what the next step in our life was, he called us to be here in Tucson, Arizona. When we came here to pastor the church, it was uh, 2005. Um, it was 2005, right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Getting older, I can't remember these things. But uh, 2005, we moved here. And when Kim and I came, we actually were on the campus over on Broadway and uh, right by Craycroft, if you know where the Krispy Kreme Donuts is and the little pizza place, that was our old property. That's where our church was. We sold that to them and uh, moved over here. But uh, when we first came here, Kim and I were the only people that had a motorcycle in the church. And one of our prayers was that we would uh, ask the Lord to give us someone to ride with. We love riding together. We've been doing it for all of our married life. I've been riding bikes since I was a kid and different things, many bikes, you know how that stuff goes. And uh, we love motorcycles, and it was a great time for us to be together. And so as we prayed and asked God to give us someone to ride with, in that prayer time, uh, God convicted us and challenged us that we would uh, do it for him. We'd been doing it for ourselves. It was kind of our thing to get away from everything. Um, if you ever ride, you know, it's like, it's amazing. You just, just you and God and creation, um, you experience everything. It's, it's um, those of you that drive cars, I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, they're valuable, and I love it. You know, I need one, and I appreciate it, but, man, there's nothing like being out in the open and experiencing everything. You know, you can just wind up your windows, and you don't know that you just drove by a skunk. <laughs> so you're 10 miles down the road, and you get a little hint, but when you're on a bike, you get everything right up close and personal. So anyway, uh, that's not all there is to it. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, but anyway, we asked God, and he asked us to do something for him with it, and so Full Throttle Ministries was born. And the very first thing we did, we asked the church board. Um, back then, it was uh, 2006, actually, that we started the first blessing. We asked them that we would be able to invite motorcycles and have a different type of a church uh, of a blessing of the bikers. A lot of places do blessing of the bikes, but we do the blessing of the bikers, and we laid our hands on every person that comes through and we pray over them individually. And it's very unique and it's very special and God is in it. There's no doubt about that. But as we did it, I'm just telling you this, a little bit of history so you understand of what's going on here is that, you know, being part of the biker community, they have bike blessings that happen and they just invite everybody in and a clergy person of some faith does this prayer and whatever they do. And everybody leaves because they've been blessed. And people treat it like they're getting a lucky rabbit's foot from God so they'll be safe as they ride. We recognize that it's not like that. But what we pray for, and this is the cool part, that they come and line up and ask us to pray over them. We pray for God to change their life. That they would be impacted by who he is. That he would protect them as they ride, but that he would be 
fresh and new in their life and that they would experience him. And if they don't know Jesus, they would come to know him. What an amazing thing that we can pray over every person that comes through that line and ask God to do that in their life. And so the first year we did it, I was scared to death. Like I didn't know who would come, who wouldn't come. We had never done anything like that before. We'd put flyers out all around town and we had 17 motorcycles that showed up. And I was like, oh man, it was like, I was scared we'd have too many or nobody. (laughs) We didn't know anything, you know? It was kind of like our new thing we were doing. But so 17 was a number that I could handle emotionally and physically in the moment. And we did some things, did a ride and all that, and it's grown throughout the years. And all of you that have joined the church as a result of that ministry because of Jesus touching you and calling you, man, it's been such an amazing thing that we are so blessed to be a part of. Full throttle got too big for me to be able to run it with my wife as we pastored the church. I was doing schooling and things, and so some leadership stepped up. Ross uh, stepped into the leadership for several years, and now we have a group that runs it. Uh, works as a board and as a team to do that and I'm so grateful I want you to know that if you don't ride a motorcycle that God will probably let you experience that in heaven but uh, (laughs) you you should try it sometime it's pretty cool it's an amazing thing and I want us to know that as a church we're not bikers and non-bikers we're servants of Jesus Christ And some of us ride motorcycles, and some of us don't get that opportunity. But it's all good, okay? And I want you to know that today's event is about God touching people's lives. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about a patch that we wear or vests or motorcycles. It's about people's lives that we're asking God to touch. And so I want everybody to be a part of what happens this afternoon. I don't care if you don't ride motorcycles. You should be here. You should be here to touch other people's lives, to welcome them on the campus, to invite them to be part of the church. We're going to have stuff in here for kids, jump castles, free food, all of that stuff. We wanted everything to be for free so that people would look at the church as not trying to take, but to give and to love. And everybody can do that. You ought to be here to reach out to your community. When you came in, there was flyers on the seats around you. There may be a few more laying around. I'm I'm challenging you to take one of those with you when you leave today and invite at least one person to come back today and you tell them you'll meet them here. Simple. All right, let's do it. God has a plan for us today and a message and I'm going to ask God to help me to get it in in the next 25 minutes because that'll be miracle number one of the day. (laughs) Symbols have meaning. They do. Symbols have meaning and they're a part of our lives. They are an unwritten language that has been a part of history and human beings since the beginning of time. See, most people in human history were illiterate. Very few people were educated enough to read any language. And therefore, in the communication of human beings, usually symbols, drawings, things like that, is the way that people communicated. You know this all around you. I want you to know that it's no different today. We may be literate and read, we may communicate in things, but symbols are very much a part of who we are and what we do. They represent and they mean something. So I have some pictures we're going to show today, and one of them that we're going to bring up across the screen, hopefully, right now, would be just a small little blip of something that has some words 
But y'all know things, right? As soon as you see certain shapes or designs or little spots of things, you know exactly what that is and what it represents. Throughout the world, the golden arches are known. You don't have to say a name. If you do that symbol or you have that, everybody knows what it is. It's a logo. It's a symbol. It represents something, and it's something that people know. We have flags for nations and cities and states, right? And everybody knows it, and it's just a symbol. It doesn't say anything, but it represents something. It shows something, and it represents a set of standards values and what you receive if you're under it it's just a symbol it's all it is okay so hopefully maybe i can't can you flip my screen because it's not working for me you guys are going to be here a lot longer than i thought (laughs) so christianity has used a symbol right the cross it's coming across the screen right there Just a simple cross. That symbol says something to every single person on planet Earth. Everybody that sees that knows that it represents something about God. Even if they don't know the particulars, they know. Because it's all over the place. It is the simple symbol of the Christian faith. Church, when Jesus arose from the grave, and you're reading there in, the, in the, the book of Acts as the church began to develop and it was growing and the message of faith in Christ began to grow, persecution broke out against the church. And as the church was driven from homes and jobs and killed and put in prison, Christians had to go into hiding and retreat. But they still knew there was a call. Listen to me, church, this is so important for us. They knew it was a call from God for them as believers to assemble together because they needed each other. They needed the community, the family, the body of Christ. They knew it. And so they developed a secret language code to be able to call people to a place of assembly and identify one another. It was the fish. The symbol of the fish. You see it on cars around town, right? So the reason why that symbol came into being is it is a Greek word. The Greek word for fish is ichthus. And the very, the letters that spell out that word that are there. Here, you want to try and get that to work? It might be. I don't know now, but it wasn't. All right. So the first letters of the word, the Greek word for fish, were In the translation, if you just use that word, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. That's what it is. So see, the reason why the fish was used was it stated, not only are we a worshiper of God, but we recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world. Okay? So what they would do is, when they would be going on, they would have either the the fish was used by other people as well just so you understand it wasn't just a christian thing the fish had a symbolism but what they would do is they would put it in a place of meeting to identify where christians should go so they could gather and also when they would meet someone people would use their walking stick and draw in the sand and they would only draw part of the fish and if the person finished the fish they knew they were brothers and sisters in christ 
And that's how they communicated, survived, and met together under the persecution. Church, the reason I'm talking about this is because as we look back in history and we look at human beings and we look at us today, there are all kinds of symbols and symbolism in our lives that matter. They matter greatly. Here at the church, we have three logos that we use. You know the Christian Faith Fellowship logo with the cross. We have Full Throttle Ministries. That's our patch that's there, which has our cross embedded in the motor. We have Radiate, Reach, and Restore with our cross. That's our mission. So you see what we're doing when we have these logos as a brand. We're saying, this is who we are. This is who we represent. It's all about Jesus all the time. It's all about the Christian faith and who Jesus is, the Son of God. So we're looking at all these things and seeing symbolism in the scriptures. Now, last week, I read you some scriptures in Leviticus chapter 16 about the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was one time a year, this is prior to Christ, Old Testament law, that God himself established in his own worship of himself, telling Moses, my people shall worship me specifically the way I dictate. God gave an incredible amount of regulations and rules and conduct codes to his people. Most of us fall asleep when we're reading the book of Leviticus. Okay, because it is so detailed about everything. God's the one that dictated that to Moses, telling his people, this is the way you are to come to me. I want everybody in this room and everybody listening online to know that God is very detailed and he is very particular. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, I read these last week, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist, put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments. So he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Talked about this last week with baptism. Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Now it goes on to say that Aaron would take and uh, present those sacrifices first for himself and his family and then for the people. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat, the two goats that he got pulled out, will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people into the wilderness of Azazel. So God is saying to, to Aaron, take two goats, bring them forward, cast lots. One you're going to bring as a sacrifice and one you're going to do something else with. This is what God says. You're going to present one as a sin offering and the goat chosen by lot for the Lord and the other, the scapegoat chosen by lot to be sent away will be kept alive standing before the Lord. All right. As we go on, I don't want to, I got to hurry along in this because of our time. God is very particular in this area. He tells Aaron that he has to sacrifice the bull, take the blood, put it on the altars, specific way, seven times sprinkling, touching each of the horns on the altar, going to each specific area within his house to purify it and cleanse it by the sacrifice of the atonement. Remember, this is the day of atonement, one time a year, the only time the high priest alone could come into the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies. God tells Aaron, you go in there, and if you don't do it the way I want, you're dead. I think Aaron was pretty particular about every step of the way and how he did it. And so as we go on now, the goats are still outside. This is what's happening now. Then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people 
and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. That's to the Holy of Holies. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover and in front of it, just as he did with the bull's blood. So he already brought the sin offering of the, of the bull. Now he went back out, slaughters that one goat that by lot was God's goat for sacrifice. Now he brings that blood and does it again. Check this out. Through this process, he will do the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and rebellion of the Israelites. Now we're getting a double washing of the blood here. No one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when Aaron enters for the purification ceremony in the most holy place. So remember, there was a holy place, the most holy. God says, nobody's allowed in. Only Aaron with that blood. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself, his family, and all the congregation. Then Aaron will come out to purify the altar that stands before the Lord. He would do this by taking some of the blood from the bull and the goat, putting it on each of the horns of the altar. Then he must sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times over the altar. In this way, he will cleanse it from Israel's defilement and make it holy. Defilement. When Aaron has finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. He will lay his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and the sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Got to remember what it says right here. Transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then, a man specially chosen for this task will drive the goat. They don't mean drive. They mean drive with a stick and move it out. Drive the goat into the wilderness. As the, as the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. Now, as we look at this amazing symbolism of what God is doing, God says to the, to the people, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your sins, put it on a sacrifice, and take it away from you. A symbolism of what Christ would actually do for you and I, right? But this is something that's important for us to see in this. The goat became what we know in our English language and throughout history as a scapegoat. We use that word all the time, a scapegoat. Why? Because I don't have to own up to what I've already done. There's a scapegoat that has taken my place. All right, so now let's, let's go on and see what's happening. Before I mention the next part of this, I read a portion of that scripture, and you ought to go back and read Leviticus. Seriously, just read it for a little while to see how detailed God is, how particular he is about his people, their conduct, and what it means to come into his presence. He's not only detailed about his sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, but every sacrifice, every offering, the way his people would worship him, and who was allowed to come into his presence. God is very detailed. I want everybody to understand we serve the same God. He's the same God. I say that because we live in a season of grace and mercy under the blood of Christ. And many in the church have gotten so sloppy in their approach to God. 
We've gotten sloppy in the application of his word. We've gotten sloppy in the way we live. We're sloppy in our language. We're sloppy in our actions. And we just think God's grace is going to cover it all. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying to you. God's grace is the only reason any of us are alive. However, too many of us in the church that represent Christ have leaned heavily into the grace and mercy while not even trying to live the way God's called us to live because God has called us to be his holy people. Old Testament and New Testament. We're supposed to live a life that separates us from the old life into a new life. We're supposed to live a life that the world be able to identify who we are and who we follow. And so we in the church are just banking on that grace so much that, man, some of us are probably going to be in trouble on Judgment Day. I'm talking about people that call themselves Christians. Read Matthew 25. It'll shake your world a little bit because Jesus is talking about Judgment Day. Okay? Now, I want to pause for a minute and look at the goat for a second. In the New Testament, when you jump over there now, remember the head of the goat and where the sins went. We're going to jump over into Matthew 25, just one section of that. This is Jesus' teaching. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at His right hand and the goats on His left. If you continue to read, Jesus says the sheep are His people and the goats are damned. It's important that we hear this. There's something going on in our world. Something happening in our lives. There's something that God did that is also happening in the spirit world of darkness. As we see in the scriptures, Jesus says, Christ's people are sheep, the damned are the goats. As Tam went on, this understanding of the teachings of Jesus Christ and the Christian church and the community was known throughout the world. So, those who are part of the darkness of this world began to take the symbol of the goat's head as one of their main symbols. The logo of the Satanists is a five-pointed pentagram. Okay, if you don't know what that is, good, don't look it up. I'm just letting you guys know something that's important for us to see. Because you see the Satanic Bible, and Christians, please don't be ignorant about what's happening in the world around you. Okay? There is a church of Satan that's real. There is a spiritual darkness that's out there. Jesus talked about it all the time. And we as a Christian church ought to be aware of what's happening in the world around us. The Satanic Bible, which I've read portions of it, don't tell you to do that. As a teacher, as a pastor, as someone that wants to help you in your walk with God understand where we are in things, the, the satanic group and following in the church proclaims the goat as their symbol and uses the goat's head, particularly as their main symbol of who they are. Why? Because of the sin that was on the goat's head. All of the sins of the people which Satan owns because he is the father of sin. And those who do not know Christ are goats. The damned. Church, some of our family are in that group. 
And we're not even telling them about Jesus because we don't want to offend them. Wake up, man. They need Jesus. Okay. The goat is the symbol of the damned. It's the symbol of sin. The, the head in particular. And therefore, there are symbols in the satanic world and the world of darkness that are part of our culture just like the Christian ones. They are. Wake up, church. There's things driving around our town on businesses. There's musicians, professional, athletes, movies, all this stuff that has all this kinds of this stuff involved in them. And we as Christians just turn a blind eye to it. There's some symbols. I don't even want to put them up there, but we're going to throw a few of them up there because I want to tell you something about these things. And the goat said, as you see that star, that's the pentagram that's there, and you can already take that down. I didn't want that up there. Seriously. I just want you to understand some things. See, because I drive around this town and I see people with an upside-down cross in their window. That is the sign of blasphemy. That is in the face of God and the Savior Jesus. There are musicians and bands that have all this stuff in their stuff. And it's on their albums. You know this church. Come on, man. Open up your eyes. Because the enemy is all about promoting who he is, the deceiver. In the scriptures... We're warned in Revelation. Jesus says this. Remember, church, Revelation is a celebration for us about our victorious king. He says there's coming a day when the beast is going to rise in power and he's going to be allowed to do some stuff. He's going to perform miracles in the eyes of people. And his numbers, 666, we know this. Kids today are just screwing around with that number, painting it places, and we, we just like kind of like, yeah, we know what that is, whatever. No, it's not whatever. It's not whatever. None of this stuff is whatever. I, throughout my years of ministry, have been amazed at the willful ignorance of the Christian church. Our ignorance of the what symbolisms are and what they mean. And... Man, I tell you what, I'm just, I got to hurry up on this. Let's just go on and just say this. Um, we all know this. I was a, I mean, before I came to Christ, I, I loved, I grew up in heavy metal rock and roll and I loved it. And it was a voice for my inner anger and resentment towards God and towards people. I'm not condemning you because you listen to rock and roll. Listen to what I'm saying right now. It was a voice for me to express my anger at God, humanity, and all that was involved in it. I saw it for what it was. It was a cry of rebellion and anarchy and anger and frustration and everything. And y'all that have been part of that community know this, that rock and roll is the one that gave the hand signal for the goat's head. Some of you have probably done it. Some of you may be doing it now. Stop. Seriously. That symbol is taken directly from that moment that the Satanists owned the head as representation of blasphemy, sin, and darkness. Look, I, I want you to know it's not just in rock and roll anymore. 
it got promoted and put out front because if you think and remember back in our country's history, this was a moment in time where our people began to rebel against all the authorities around them. Right? Look in your history if you want to look at it. Okay. It's everywhere now. Leave it alone. It's there. Look for it. I'm not on a winch hunt today. I'm not. I'm not on a witch hunt. This isn't Salem and we're not looking to hurt people. We want God's people to wake up to who Jesus is. We need God's people to wake up to the stuff that maybe is even in their house and in their life and that they're willingly ignorant of when they ought to be wise as Jesus told us to be. Those who oppose Christ and the Christian church as they use their symbols of blasphemy and, and standing against have this you know, well, you know this, like the fish. Remember, we were talking about that. You see people with the feet on the fish with Darwin in there. It's like in the face of God and Jesus, like I believe in evolution, there is no God, no creator. That's what they're saying. And a lot of people are just ignorant of it. I know that. But what's our job? To give them wisdom. To let them know the truth. Don't yell at the people today when you're driving home, hey, idiot, you need Jesus. You know, that's not what he's telling us, right? <laughs> All right. What's happening in our culture, though, is there is a growing celebration of obstinance to, to God. There is. It's becoming more and more prevalent, and it's going to continue unless there is a move of God in our nation and the only way that's going to happen is being led by God's people. But there is a growing rebellion against all law, all authority, all rulership, and only my truth matters. This is not something new. This has been growing since the early 60s. This is nothing new. What we are seeing, though, is the growth and the more boldness of it coming to the forefront, and it is coming more and more forward. Okay. We're way out of time here. Yeah, I understand, but I, I'm... Hey, look, an old pastor told me before, and I obviously don't listen to him very much. He said, quit when they want you to go on. Don't go on. Don't go on when they want you to quit. All right. So, <laughs> all right, fast, like, we'll, we'll, we'll move along here. I got five minutes. So we're coming into Halloween. Well, yeah. A celebration of darkness. The, the symbols of witches, spirits, death, skulls, all that is dark. The celebration of dead. All right. Hey, when I was a kid, believe it or not, growing up in the legalistic holiness church that I lived in, we did it. My mom dressed up like a witch one year. I, it still blows my mind. I'm serious. I'm like, what in the world? How could a woman that didn't think she could wear makeup had her hair up and wore dresses, dressed like a witch? I'm like, what? Wow, man, I'm still like, in, I don't know. I don't get it. You know what I mean? I'm serious. <laughs> so I mean... Putting all that aside, Jesus, help me. All right, we're... <laughs> I know this, church. Please hear me right now. Please hear me. I know that Halloween is presented as innocent fun. I know that. 
It's all about celebrating and letting kids get candy and looking cute in their outfits and like three point some million dollars spent on pets to dress up in America. Seriously. Do you know that in 2019, listen to this, it's going to blow your mind, $8.8 billion was spent on Halloween. It's not even a holiday, you know that? No, I'm serious. It's not a recognized holiday in the United States. It is a people-driven celebration that is acknowledged by culture, but our nation has never sanctioned it as a holiday. $8.8 billion spent. That's crazy. Now, again, uh, let me step back here for a second. I want you to look at the symbolisms that it's all about. Just seriously, look at what it's all about. It's about murder, witches, darkness. It happens at darkness. There's a history to it. You ought to look that up. And, and the enemy, see, the word of God tells us that Satan comes as an angel of light to deceive the world. An angel of light. He doesn't come like wearing goat's horns and darkness, pitchfork in hell. By the way, um, he's not in hell. He's going there. That's where he's going to be punished along with everybody that's going with him. But see, as we see that then, what better way? Look, I mean, if you just look at history uh, in, in the, the um, TV industry and movie industry, just hear me, relax. <laughs> the way homosexuality was introduced, go ahead and look it up. In the females first, and then in the males was always in comedies. And they made the individual that was practicing homosexual as a comedian funny, and they made them say all the jokes so you'd laugh at it because it's the way that we receive things innocently. Now, you can think I'm nuts if you want, I don't care. Look in your history. See, the word of God says Satan comes as an angel of light to deceive the world. We want to make it look innocent and secret and that it's okay. He's a liar. He is a deceiver. Wake up, church. The world's not going to wake up. We in the church need to wake up. We need to see things for what they are. See, last week in the, in, the, in the scriptures, we looked at John the Baptist and said that he had disciples. Those were followers. The, the Greek word is disciple means a follower of, right? So John the Baptist had disciples. Jesus had disciples. The Pharisees said, we're disciples of Moses. Now, I'm saying this because, see, there was a change in that word. Disciple could have meant anyone following anyone. But something happened in Acts chapter 11. The disciples of Christ began to be distinguished and called by a different name. Because as the church grew and people's lives were being changed, something was happening during that time where they had to use the fish, the persecution, and the church is growing. Listen, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. We received that name, Christians, because the world saw them differently. The church, the believers in Christ didn't own that name. They didn't say, hey, we're Christians. No, the world 
gave them that name because they saw them as followers of Christ. They were identified. They symbolized something. What they symbolized in their living was Jesus. (laughs) So Christians were identified and recognized by their lifestyle, their language, their love. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? So the symbolism of Christianity, church, it's not a cross. It's me and you. Think about it. That's who we are. The disciples didn't have crosses that they carried around. This is something that we have evolved with as a church. I'm not against crosses. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. To the world... A cross means so many different things today. The cross has been contaminated. And the name Christian has been contaminated. We're it. We are the symbol of Christianity today. The world should know who we are. They should see us for who we follow. It's the people in your lives. The people around you that you work with. The people that you hang out with. Do you live different than them? Do you talk different than them? Do you watch things different than them? Do you forward the same things they forward? Listen, I mean, I'm talking about us as a church. Representing the Savior of the world who said, You are my messengers. You're the ones... I'm using you and I'm sending you out to change the world. The world's changing, all right. Not like Jesus, though. All right, I'm done. Action steps. Are you a disciple of Christ? That means you're a Christian, you know? That means you shouldn't have to tell people, hey, I'm a Christian. They ought to say, are you a Christian? Come on. Are you a Christian? You're different. What in your language? What in your home? What in your life would identify you as a Christian? Look, I want you to take an outward look at not only your life, but where you live, how you live, where you work, where you associate. Look at yourself. Can you even identify yourself as a Christian? I'm not being mean or or stupid here. I'm saying like, what evidence is there? All right, that's not saying everybody should get a big blinging cross. Like, hey, look at me, I'm a Christian. Please don't if you're not living it. That's the problem today. People think they just put a little lucky charm on and everybody, it's all good to go. No, God's particular. God is a God of holiness. He has called us to a life of living. So here's a, here's a thing. I often talk with people like, you know, we're struggling along. We have these issues in our life. I'm like, you know, what you ought to do is you need to do an inventory of your home and your life and what you have going on there. You need to go through and pray and ask God to come and help you see what he sees in your home. It's been amazing to me what Christians have taken out of their homes. Symbols. Seriously. Satanic symbols. Stuff in movies. Stuff in their music. 
that is celebrating all the things of darkness. While we're proclaiming Christ, we have this garbage in our life and involved in our life and celebrating. We got pictures on the wall and stuff. Seriously. I have men in your house. And even if I was, I don't even look around. I don't pay attention. My wife always like, did you see that picture? I'm like, no. Okay. <laughs> you see what shoes she was wearing? I'm like, yeah, seriously? Uh, <laughs> so... So I'm telling you, I'm not like picturing your house saying, I hope you get this. No, you ought to go there and say, Holy Spirit, what do I need to remove from my house? See, because those symbols mean something. They mean something. I mean, I have one tattoo on my body. Full throttle ministries. It's on my throttle hand. And it's there for a reason. It's a representation of what Christ is asking me to do. And as I ride that motorcycle... Don't lose myself in what the world projects as a motorcycle rider. Represent Christ out there in every way that you can. See, there's a reason for what we do and why. And we need to own that. As the church of Jesus Christ, we need to represent him accordingly. Inventory your home, your clothing. See what you have as symbols that need to be removed from your life. Let's be the church. Let's live as the people of faith that God has called us to be. That stuff is real out there. Church, it's moving to the forefront. This is a prophetic word to you right here, right now. If there is not a move of God coming in our nation soon, the spirit of darkness will be prevalent like you've never, ever seen before in your life. I'm not just saying that. It is coming. And darkness will prevail and it will be celebrated. And the reason why that's going to happen is because the church of Jesus Christ has not stepped up to contest it in this power of the Spirit of God, living the truth, proclaiming the truth, and being the truth. That's the only way it's going to happen because God is not a coward. He's not running away. He is acting as God does in His righteousness and moving away from those who tell Him to move away. And our nation as a whole has told Him to get out. That ought to put every Christian on their knees in prayer. That ought to put every one of us in boldness of our faith. Got to pray. What an amazing day, huh? Yeah. So, my concluding remarks, I don't know if I already said that. I hate when pastors do that three times. I really do, and I try not to, but this is it. I just want you to know. Full Throttle Ministries is to represent Christ in a world that is viewed as darkness. The motorcycle community as a whole is always viewed in darkness. It is. People think anybody wearing leathers is hell's angels. Seriously. When we ride as a group, people freak out sometimes and they're scared. It's like, we're here for Jesus. You don't have to worry. We wear those patches because we want people to know we're all about Jesus. The T in the full throttle is the cross and it has the blood of Christ upon it. We want people to know we're there to pray for you and we're representing light in the midst of darkness and that's what God asked us to do. That's what we're doing today. That's the point of what we're doing. We're trying to invite people in and see that there's a light that wants to shine in their life and it's Jesus. Let's be who he asked us to be. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. God, Holy Spirit, You know this word. Take it. Apply it to our hearts. Help us to open up our eyes. God, we need you. We need you, Lord. Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, stir their hearts to know you are the answer to their life. If there's anybody listening online, Holy Spirit, convict them. Draw them. Let them see they need you, God. You are the answer.
Lord, have mercy on your church. Have mercy on Tucson. Have mercy on Arizona and this country, God, please. We ask you to move and call your people. Let us see revival across this land. We ask this in Jesus' name.